1: Max him down Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host Kane Pittman here for today's episode that is brought to you by BuiltBar.com and I have to say our special guest today might be able to use some Built Bar because it looks like for those following him on social media that he's running an NBA training camp out of quarantine in California but he is one of the all-time Bucks legends, a four-time all-star in Milwaukee, three-time all-NBA player. He's number eight, is in the rafters of 5 Forum, and now he's one of the best broadcasters in the business. Marcus Johnson, thanks for jumping on the show.
2: Always a pleasure, man. How you doing, Kane? Everything good over there?
1: I'm I'm doing well. Uh, I have to say, we always get requests for people to come on the show, and you are by far (laughs) the most requested guest that we've had. And we first mentioned this back in October. I was in Australia. You were over there. Then the NBA season happened. And things get difficult. We couldn't find time. Ironically enough, I, I kind of wish we were speaking about this before we recorded. We didn't have so much time now to talk, but here we are. And it's probably good timing because last night, for those that watched The Last Dance, they saw your cameo in poster form. And this is something you've spoken about before, the fact that Jordan had your poster on the wall. But, but let me ask you about Johnson's Law. What is, what is Johnson's Law?
2: <laughs> well, jo- Johnson's Law officially is uh, a slogan that adidas came up with what goes up goes in or or uh toward the the, the twilight of my career as one fan said what goes up must come down <laughs> 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 it kind of evolved into that that became johnson's law toward the tail end of it all but no uh that was uh you know that was a catchy little uh little phrase that adidas came up with and uh I would like to think that it that it spoke to my efficiency as a ball player in terms of getting buckets and you know shooting a high percentage and being a a pretty uh solid mid range player back in those days. So yeah, that's that's Johnson's law in a nutshell.
1: <laughs> so I I looked back and correct me if I'm wrong here. In in Jordan's rookie season, you were with the Clippers at the time, but you did play against him twice. Uh, What's your memories of him coming into the league as a competitor, as a player at at that young age?
2: Well, you know, all I knew of Michael was uh, from how well he had played at uh, North Carolina his junior year, I think a Wooden Award winner. And, uh, of course, we all knew him from the big shot he had against uh, Georgetown as a a freshman in the national championship game. So that kind of made – kind of started his legend. And um, so we knew he was uh, a, a, a very talented player. But I didn't really get a chance to really feel his greatness until being on the floor with him at the old sports yep. arena here in Los Angeles. And um, he and a former teammate, a guy that passed away a few years back at the ripe old age of 38, Derek Smith, uh, they went at it. And Derek Smith was just emerging as one of the top two guards in the league. The first 10 games of that year, before he hurt his knee, he was averaging about 27 points a game, Kane. And, he and Michael Jordan put on an aerial display <laughs> at the sports arena that just had, had fans and, 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 teammates alike, just in awe of the two of them, just some of the plays that were made. I mean, Google that game. If, if you, if you ever want to treat in terms of watching a guy kind of, kind of sneak dunk Michael Jordan in transition, going full speed, it was one of the most incredible dunks I've seen with Derek Smith. But anyway, Michael Jordan, to finish off the story, a couple of things in that game that I remember very vividly. I set up, a, a, a kind of a flare screen at the elbow on him. He came in high with the elbows, kind of, kind of caught me a little bit across the, <laughs> the chest. So I kind of grabbed him. I was like, "Hey rookie, you know, <laughs> watch the elbows." And he shook himself. Hey, vet, watch the, watch the screen. You know. So I was like, "Oh, okay, okay. This guy's got, you know, he's got some cojones. Okay, he's, he's, he's not gonna, uh, he's not gonna be intimidated in, in easily." And then he came on in that game in the fourth quarter, and he had a play. And they showed, you could see some of the clips of that in the last dance. But he split, he split me and Derek going to the basket, Derek Smith. And we're both like 6'6", 225, 220. And just we tried to hold him down and foul him aggressively. And he still was able to get the shot off and finish off a big and one play that kind of sealed the win for the Bulls. So uh, from that point on, we kind of knew we were dealing with something that was, uh, that was unique and special in Michael Jordan.
1: So you talk about, and, and I've already got sidetracked here. You talk about him sort of chirping back at you in, in that instance. Back in those days, it was clearly different. There was an intimidation factor. Was that rare for a guy, a rookie, to to come back at you like that? Uh, I know you said you were kind of surprised, but that that does seem uh, kind of kind of different to, I guess, uh, what you might see from other guys at that in that period of time.
2: Yeah, very rare, and and and. But I think you know Michael kind of. Uh understood that he was going to be tested going going to be challenged but but again that I think bespeaks to of just where he is mentally in terms of being a cut above uh, even even some of the greatest players of all time but 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 just 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 the you know the guys who are really good players like myself Derek Smith would have been an all-star that year but I think Michael even then was kind of a cut above mentally in terms of uh, this competitive attitude and, and not backing down from any situation, and um, I think that was uh, something that was evidenced in that just brief little uh, bit of uh, interplay that we had between each other. And, and so I was, uh, you know, like I said, he caught me off guard. I, I didn't, ex- I thought, it, I thought he'd be like, "Oh yeah, okay, my bad, man. yeah Okay, okay, yes, sir. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah." You know, but he's just like, "Hey, hey, vet You know, watch the screen. <laughs> so, uh, but it was uh, something that I always kind of take with me and, 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 and remember in terms of my first time playing against. The-
1: Let me tell you about the great folks over at Built Bar. Today's episode of Lockdown Bucks is brought to you by Built Bar. It's an amazing protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. They have 16 incredible flavors, 8 chocolate with nut, 8 chocolate without nut. They're soft and easy to chew, but most importantly, they're great for the health-conscious guy. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and I got to tell you, at this time when we're in isolation and I'm sitting at home, I'm trying to work out, I'm trying to stay healthy, I'm trying to also do this podcast, right, do all the things I want to do. Built Bar is the perfect snack for in between when I'm working, when I'm outside, when I'm doing all the things I need to do to stay healthy during isolation. I can't recommend it high enough. And we've got a special offer for you. Go to builtbar.com and use the promo code On, and you'll get $10 off your first order. Use the promo code On
0: Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Hey, if he's, if he's saying that back to you and he had your poster on his wall, it's fair to say yeah. he's probably yeah. not intimidated by anyone. But onto your career, obviously, you come to Milwaukee 70, for the 77, 78 season. And this was really, we know the Bucks obviously had great success through the early 70s, but this was the beginning of another golden era I guess for the Bucs and the thing about that team that really stands out to me is the age demographic and I know you've spoke about the speed and the pace that this team played at before but when I look at these numbers just for context for the listeners out there that 1977-78 Bucs team played at a pace of 108.7 uh, so it's 108.7 possessions per game the 2020 Milwaukee Bucks played at a pace of 105 so that 77-78 team was getting out there and running What's your memories of that group and that collection of players?
2: Well, just uh, coming in, Don Nelson, the all-time winningest coach in NBA history, uh, he had this philosophy. And I, this was his first season as a, as a full-time head coach. He had taken over for the bus uh, in the, the middle part of the season the year before. But this is his first training camp that he was able to run on his own. His philosophy was that he was good, and look, he was going to get us in great shape. We're going to steal 10 victories. His words exactly. We're going to steal ourselves 10 victories early on just from being in better shape than our opponents. And to that end, Kane, I kid you not, people don't believe me when I say this. You know how training camp goes now, where they may go three days uh, or maybe a week, five days of two a days. We went 28 straight days twice a day. And <laughs> we'd have, you know, they get broken up intermittently with some exhibition games. But for the most part, we're going 10 to 12 in the uh, in the morning and then in the evening come back, like maybe 6 to 8 in the evening. And, and that's just crazy running and conditioning and uh, you know, all kinds of stuff that we did just to get in great shape. And so the start of that season, we were able to just run a lot of older teams off the floor and, and even younger teams just being in, in the kind of condition that we were in. So it's the thing that stands out the most. And the collective uh, – Group of, of of guys who had played for some of the top programs in the country. Quinn Buckner uh, with Bobby Knight and that great Indiana team. They beat us in the um, uh, NCAA semifinals in 1976. when undefeated, 33 and 0 that year. Uh, Kent Benton was on that squad as the number one pick. I was drafted number three. Uh, junior Bridgman. We played them Louisville in the 1975 semis and uh, beat them uh, in I think an overtime in that game. Uh, Dave Myers was my running mate at UCLA for a couple of years he was a starting power forward even though it's probably a misnomer he's, he's you know 6'9 about 210 pounds but as tough as they come the late great Dave Myers I miss him dearly but that was the uh that was a group of guys a bunch of guys about Brian Winters from South Carolina Alex English was my backup at small yeah. forward Alex English also from South Carolina I think a second round pick and uh was able to uh, eventually, uh you know, establish himself as one of the great all-time scorers in nba history but he played he was like my, the backup small forward to me on that team so had a lot of good young basketball players that were willing to listen willing to learn and uh, nelly approached i know me personally as kind of an empty vessel in terms of being a great college player college player of the year first wooden award winner in 1977 but he approached me like a guy that didn't really have a clue in terms of how to play the nba game even though i played against nba players since I was 15 years old, but just just the little nuances of the game that he learned uh, playing under Red Arback with the Boston Celtics and playing with John Havlicek and Dave Cowens and all those great players, so it was just a perfect perfect storm for me coming from UCLA uh, to, to wind up with Don Nelson and that 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 collection of young talented players, and uh, we had a lot of success uh, at that first year. Made the playoffs, took Denver to a seventh game in the Conference Finals, and um, you know so we were we, we, we had a bright future after that first year your
1: rookie season you averaged 19.5 points 10.6 rebounds 1.2 steals and 1.3 blocks there's only been three guys in the history of the nba that have averaged 18 10 one and one you're obviously one of them yeah, this is in your rookie season do you know who the other two are <laughs> wait wait so what's what's the, what's the numbers again Eight, 18 points Six. 10 rebounds a block and a steal
2: Wow, eighteen and ten. I have no idea. Must get a big guy, sure. Kareem, maybe. I don't know. Akeem,
1: Akeem, Olajuwon, and David Robertson. Not, not, not bad company there.
2: Wow, you know that's uh, that's that's a stat that I had no idea existed. So (laughs) that's, that's 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 some rare company to be included in.
1: So Don Nelson, I want to ask you about here, but we saw. Uh, your feature with him on Fox Sports Wisconsin uh, earlier or a few months ago, that was a lot of fun. But one thing that really stood out to me was that he said uh, from working with Pop and looking at Pop, one of the things that he loves about Greg Popovich is his relationship with the players. And he admitted that earlier in his career, you already mentioned, this was his first season as a full-time head coach. He was still of the opinion that the coach and the players needed to be separated. There needed to be that uh, sort of bridge between you two in terms of who was the boss, who was the players. What was, what do you remember about your relationship with Don early in those years?
2: Well, um, it was good. I mean, he, he wasn't buddy, buddy, chummy, chummy at all. Yeah. Um, and, and neither were the, and, and there were those times we had one assistant my first year, John Killalay, who also came up through the uh, Boston Celtic, uh, dynasty years, uh, back in the uh, early seventies. And that later added a couple of more Gary, St. Jean and, and uh, Dave Wool came on board, and Mike Schuler. But at that time, it was just Don Nelson and John Killalay. And, and so, I mean, it was all business. We were, we were a young teams, so there was quite a bit of a, of an age difference. I mean, we had an old vet in John Giannelli who played on those okay. great Nick teams in the early early seventies. Uh, but other than that, I think Jumbo Eakins may have come over from the you know, kind of an ABA guy that uh, played well uh, in the ABA days, but probably early the mid mid thirties. But uh, but anyway, so Nelly Nelly was cool. Nelly was a good guy again. He he was uh, the kind of coach that that um, encouraged input from players in game situations. So if I'm on the floor and I'm guarded uh, by whomever down the stretch of a game, Larry Bird or Walter Davis or whomever was guarding me, he you know asked me what I thought I could be effective in terms of uh, offensive sets to run. So I might say, well, give me an isolation on the. On the, on the left side, let's call it, you know, 33 hole. That was my play, uh, the, the high post three and then the, for the three man. And I have a kind of a clear out on the left side and would be able to do what I wanted to do. But he'd always kind of ask for input. And then I remember specifically a time when I tried to split a couple of defenders and uh, maybe got the ball stripped and lost it. And so during the timeout, you know, he's like, so, MJ, what were, you know, what were you thinking on that play? I said, well, you know, I thought I could get by those two guys, draw that third defender to me and kick it to the corner to Junior Bridgman for an open jumper. And then I thought for a split second and said, okay, I like that. I mean, I, you know, I couldn't have done it as a player, but you've got that kind of talent. And as long as you got a, as long as you got a positive plan in mind, I don't mind the fact that it didn't work out that time, but you, you know, you just went out there, went out there willy nilly trying to do things. So that was the kind of relationship we had on the floor and, uh, and uh, you know, we, we've uh, maintained a pretty positive relationship. Now I will say this came my second year. I averaged almost 26 points a game, uh, shot 55% from the floor. I was uh first team all pro that year along with Elvin Hayes and Kareem and I think Westfall, some of guys, whatever. But, but uh, so, so going into my third year, Nelly brought me into his office and uh, you know, he asked me how many points I thought I could average that third year after averaging 26, almost 26 a game. I'm like, i mean, you know, I can drop 28 to 30 easily. And so he's like, I know you can, but th- this is what I want you to do. I want you to, be more of a facilitator, uh, scale, your, scale your numbers back from, from 26 to 20 points a game, give me seven rebounds, play solid defense, and uh, I just feel like that's, that's the best way for us to win. Now, I look back on that nowadays with the benefit of hindsight, and you know, I felt, felt like Nelly may have made a miscalculation just in terms of you know, not, not um, encouraging me to explore my abilities as an efficient scorer. I'm shooting 55% from the field and uh, you know I just sometimes you know, because we didn't win the championship and it's funny I, I, I posed that scenario to Giannis uh, a few months back and asked him what would he do if a coach said instead of averaging 27 give me 20 and he's like well would it help us win a championship so you know Giannis said if it helps us win a championship then I'll do it but if not then I'm not going to do it and so I look back on that now and I just you know hindsight's twenty-twenty. I just wonder if you know, if that might have been a difference maker in a seventh game against the Sixers or the Celtics in a, in a, in a series or the Nuggets or whomever. And so uh, that's just one of the things that, you know, just kind of, kind of I won't say haunt you as a player, but, but it's just food for thought when you think about maybe kind of what could have been when you, when you fell short so many times as we did in six playoff appearances and never got past uh, the conference finals and, and, and had a chance to play in the NBA Finals for a championship.
0: Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
1: So one of the numbers I look at, and your name is all over the franchise record list for the Milwaukee Bucks, but one stat that stood out to me that I wanted to ask you about was your offensive rebounding. When I look at your rebounding numbers across the board. You're the franchise leader with offensive rebounds, 1,468. But 37.4% of your rebounds came on the offensive glass. And that is an astronomical number. And in comparison, if you compare it to someone like Giannis, it's 18.9%. So different era, obviously. But what was the philosophy with this team? And obviously, your natural ability to read the ball and hit the offensive glass. Why was that such a, a big part of your game?
2: Well, it's funny because when I first came into the league, um I remember a female reporter going into my rookie year, she's she's trying to, you know, she's going by my UCLA stats where I average like twenty-one plus points a game over eleven rebounds a game. So I mean, rebound has always been my thing. I mean, I've I've always been a great rebounder for my size. I'm I'm about six six, a shade over six, 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 six and a half, maybe. Listed at six seven, but everybody kind of fudges, <laughs> you know, back <laughs> in those days, especially. But but uh but but rebounding has always been the strength of my average I think uh 18 rebounds a game in high school my senior year I mean I was I was always it's funny when I was at UCLA uh, I, w- I was a terrific rebounder early on as a freshman and we'd, we'd be in situations I remember specifically USC at the sports arena and Bill Walton my teammates getting killed on the backboards their big guys are just dominating the the rebounding and bill runs by the bench and yells at Coach Wooden get Marcus in here <laughs> I need <laughs> Help on the boards. And, and as soon as I heard that, I started to unbutton my, my sweatpants because I knew what was going to happen. Coach Whitten, you know, a moment later, Marcus, get in there. You know, rebound. And so rebounding has always been a strong, strong suit of mine. And my rookie I think I averaged almost like 10 and a half rebounds a game. And, and a lot of those were just uh, offensive boards and positioning and timing. And that was just a, a real natural aspect of the game. Now, 37% of my rebounds at the offensive end, I had no idea that uh, I had no idea that I was a franchise leader in offensive rebounds, to tell you the truth. But that that, that offensive rebounding percentage is just crazy. But that's, uh, that's an indication of just how how hard I went at it uh, in terms of trying to get those easy putbacks and, and just work the <laughs> offensive glass.
1: So the Mecca in that time, and for me, as someone that, that obviously wasn't watching basketball in that time and able to go to those home games a couple of years ago, I got the chance to fly into Milwaukee, get to that game, against the Celtics, and it was an incredible venue for me to watch the game. Pretty good sight lines from all over the place, and the atmosphere and the noise inside that building, despite the crowd number being lower than across the road at the Bradley Centre. But your memories of that home court advantage playing at the Mecca, the floor, I know, I've seen you describe it before, is, is almost a, a selling point for uh, players at that point. It, it was such a, a fun building to, to be a
2: part of. Well, that first year, my rookie year, uh, that was the year that they they brought in the new floor. Had the artist uh, from the Midwest, Robert Indiana, come up with this, you know, geometric, colorful design with the yellows and the reds and the whole deal. And and you know, it was uh, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I didn't get too caught up on the floor just because I don't know just at that point I'm not thinking about anything but the rims and getting the ball in the basket and you know and so I didn't get really caught up on on on, on a lot of the aesthetics in terms of what what it looked like I just remember though that the fans were as uh, vocal and as rabid of, of a fan base as any in the country and I think our style of play really played into that also getting them hyped up the way we played a fast-paced game we you know, full-court pressure defense and get out in transition. And I was a, a young guy, 21 years old, uh, that loved to dunk the basketball and catch line passes and do the spectacular. And uh, our, our organist, I think his name was Frank Charles at that time, he would play the, the daring young man on the flying trapeze when I'd do something in the air. And uh, so, yes. Yeah, now, of course, the downside is that uh, when I first got there, we were uh, – our capacity was just under 11,000. And so we were the smallest venue in the league at that point, but I got excited because after my first year or two, I found out that they were going to expand the building and put in some more seats. And so maybe we 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 were you know maybe we were at eleven thousand excuse me ten thousand eight hundred or ten thousand nine hundred. And then I found out they were going to expand and put in more seats. And we expanded to like 11,033, <laughs> about, about 200 <laughs> seats they put in down on the floor level. But it was a great place to play. Uh, just uh, terrific memories. The place was loud. And we catch the Lakers coming in with their fur coats on and all their jewelry and you know <laughs> gaudy sunglasses and and uh, we you know, we just run them out the building and catch the Celtics or the Sixers in there and give them all they could handle. So I've got some really great memories. I've had some great games there, and it's always been a special place for me to even think about playing in.
1: All right, so we are going to leave it there for today's locked on bucks, Marcus. We are going to be back tomorrow. We're going to continue our chat. We're going to look at. The modern-day Bucks a little bit more. We're going to talk plenty of Giannis. We're going to talk lessons that you learned from going back to the playoffs on repeat efforts. Dante DiVincenzo a little bit, your jersey retirement, your return to broadcasting in Milwaukee, and return to the city itself. It's going to be a lot of fun as we continue this tomorrow. We thank everyone for listening. Of course... Make sure to listen to Rejecting the Screen with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stenko, one of the great podcasts on the On Podcast Network. But for now, for the all-time great Marcus Johnson and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll be back tomorrow.
0: Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.